Hi, this is Michael Graham. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Our guest is senior writer Mark Hemingway, who I understand is in danger of being prosecuted over a T-shirt you wouldn't print. Could you explain this to me, Mark? <laughs> well, not exactly me, but uh, um, there was a case of a printer down in Kentucky recently, Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, the name of the printer is called Hands-On Originals. And uh, he was asked to print T-shirts for a uh, gay rights event, and he refused uh, on the grounds that he's a Christian and doesn't support the message of the event. And uh, he immediately got keel-hauled before uh, the local Human Rights Commission. Um, and uh, it raises a lot of you know interesting questions about what local human rights and civil rights commissions are and what they've been doing. Um, just to give a short explanation, uh, in the, sort of in the late 60s and early 70s, a lot of these human rights or civil rights commissions started popping up at both the, the local and state level. Um, nearly every good-sized city has one anymore, and, and most states do as well. And um, basically, they were originally designed to put forth an administrative process because they were worried that after all the great society legislation was passed, there was going to be a flurry of petty discrimination complaints that were going to overwhelm the legal system. Well, in practice, they've never really had a reason to justify their existence. Um, but over time, these little local administrative commissions have gotten really active on, you know, uh, in, uh, gotten really active about harassing business owners who have, you know, um, politically incorrect beliefs. Mark Hemingway, is it safe to say that anytime you see the label Human Rights Commission, chances are something's gone terribly wrong, whether it's at the UN or one of my favorite stories, what happened to, uh, I think, a mutual acquaintance of ours, Mark Stein, up in Canada. Yeah. We wrote a piece, a fact-based piece, about the current state of Islam and found himself prosecuted for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and again, Mark Stein uh, wrote that piece in the Plains Magazine, which is sort of the Canadian equivalent of Time Magazine, you know, one of the largest and most respected publications in the country. And yet a bunch of bureaucrats thought that they had the right to drag Mark Stein and McLean's magazine through this hearing where they questioned the political motivation of what he wrote. You know, never mind that, you know, it's perfectly within the, the bounds of, you know, mainstream discussion. And even if it weren't, you know, who are government, you know, bureaucrats to sit in judgment and be censors of people? Um, and uh, this is becoming increasingly a problem in the U.S. I mean, things have gone completely cattywampus up in Canada with these human rights commissions. But in the U.S., they've, they've really been sort of the point of the spear on a lot of this uh, gay rights stuff. Uh, you're um, just negative, Mark. Uh, come on, Mark Hemingway, because after all, the U.N. Hum Commission on Human Rights has people like Saudi Arabia and Libya and Cuba sitting on it. What could possibly <laughs> go wrong when you've got the fine Libyans deciding whether or not you're uh, uh, guilty of – and this is Libya under Gaddafi. Yeah. deciding human rights cases. Right. Well, you know, again, though, it, it, it speaks to, you know, the, that point actually speaks to how much uh, um, political correctness sort of defines a lot of what these commissions do. Um, you know, for instance, Stein was, was hauled before the court because he wrote something in politic about Muslims, but you could you would be hard-pressed to find, you know, Canadian Human Rights Commission dragging Muslims uh, before them because they hold impolitic views. Um, and uh, But at the same time, they have no problem um, um, dragging uh, Christians before these commissions for, you know, um, expressing you know, fairly traditional Christian beliefs about sexuality and other things like that. Which brings me to one of my favorite topics in the world, alcohol in Washington, D.C., and pugs. And how in the world did a notoriously cranky, uh, curmudgeonly bartender end up in front of a D.C. Human Rights Commission? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, the, these human rights commissions have been on my radar screen because I used to work at National Review with Mark Stein uh, when he was going through this whole thing up in Canada. Well, as it happens, um, 
Uh, I have a, a friend who runs a bar here in Washington, D.C. called The Pug, uh, down on 8th Street in the northeast section of the city. It's a great bar, a uh, great place to hang out. Well, anyway, one day, Tony, who's a bit of a curmudgeon and a bit of a jokester, um, scrawled on a chalkboard behind uh, um, his bar that he was going to serve this fruity new vodka concoction called Marion Berry's Dirty Asian Summer Punch. <laughs> Now, for those of you that don't live in Washington, D.C., this, this requires a little bit of backstory, which is that uh, um, uh, last spring, Marion Barry, yes, that Marion Barry, the former uh, um, mayor of Washington, D.C., who D.C.'s Ward 8 residents keep electing to the city council, um, he went in front of a television camera and said that he didn't want um, Asians moving into Ward 8 and opening up their, quote, dirty stores. Uh, and this caused a you know, minor kerfuffle because, you know, what uh, Barry said was obviously racist. And then not only that, it was about two or three weeks later, Barry followed that up with a comment about Filipino nurses that was seriously uncalled for, that uh, the Philippine ambassador, no less, uh, singled out Marion Barry uh, for having said. And so Marion Barry is, you know, as you might imagine, uh, both uh, equal parts colorful and problematic. And uh, uh, my buddy Tony, who owns this bar, was just clearly making fun of Marion Barry uh, when he started serving his drink. And, you know, it's a local establishment. Nearly everyone, you know, belling up to the bar, the place would know exactly what he was doing. Well, less than 24 hours later, the D.C. Office of Human Rights was in Tony's bar and telling him that he had to take down his sign or face a $10,000 fine. Um, and, you know, the, the, I, you know, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, well, can, can we start uh, with the premise that Washington, D.C., one of the most liberal cities in America with an inc- completely liberal to far left uh, city government would be telling anyone what they can say or not say? I thought one of the fundamental principles of liberals, Mark uh, Hemingway, was liberty. What happened to this notion of if you don't like what he says, leave because offensive speech is protected speech? That is a very, very good point. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how to answer that other than, you know, at least in D.C.'s case, a lot of it just, you know, boils down to corruption. Um, in fact, one of the interesting things about this story is so after Tony got this notice from the D.C. Office of Human Rights that they wanted to take the sign down, he he had a conversation with the guy at the Human Rights Office and he said, look, I'm not going to, you know, fight this battle. But just so you know, you know, I want to make perfectly clear that right. you're blasting out this message to all these city officials that I'm doing something racist. You know, you need to understand that this is clearly a joke. And in fact, one of the interesting things about this was that Tony, who from looking at the guy, you would never guess this, but uh, it turns out he's a quarter Filipino. His dad is half Filipino and an Air Force veteran. And uh, so what, that all of a sudden put a different flavor on things and the Human <laughs> Rights Commission sort of backed down. Well, they told him he had 72 hours to take down the sign. And then the next day, the D.C. Alcoholic Beverage Association was in his bar telling him he had to take the sign down or they were going to threaten to shut it down. Um, and, you know, clearly what was going on here is that Marion Barrier, one of his allies in city government, was leaning on city bureaucrats to do this. But the crazy thing is, is these human rights commissions have a lot of broad statutory authority to come in and do these kinds of things to businesses that uh, they don't like. But this is what I don't understand. It's back to my previous question. It was always when I was growing up, the left who were on the side of people saying things you didn't want to hear. They were also on the side of humor, comedy, jokes, you know, was supposedly my evangelical family that couldn't take a joke, but it was the lefties who were out partying and having a great time. And yet you almost never hear of uh, evangelical Christians mounting challenges to free speech. Almost always it's the left. Mark Hemingway, what happened? 
Well, um, what happened here is, is, is I'm, I'm afraid that, well, Tony's case is kind of an unusual in the sense that it is a it just a flat out case of city you know, government corruption. And I, I have no doubt that as time goes on and these human rights commissions become more powerful, that we'll be seeing more and more cases of that. But a lot of what they've been doing is, is stuff directly related to religious liberty. All of a sudden, gay rights has become the civil rights issue. And then all of a sudden, because that's a civil rights issue, it trumps nearly every other, you know, reasonable um, expectation of free speech. Um, and, and that's primarily what a lot of these, uh, um, these human rights cases have, have been doing. They've been sort of the point of the spear on a lot of this gay rights stuff. Um, uh, the probably the most famous case with the, these uh, human rights commissions involved a wedding photographer in New Mexico who was fined six thousand dollars and change by the New Mexico Human Rights Commission because she refused to photograph a gay commitment ceremony on the grounds that she didn't support it as a Christian. Uh, there was another case up in New Jersey where a Methodist group that owns a beachfront uh, um, camp slash retreat. Um, told a lesbian couple that uh, they could get married on their property, but they couldn't get married in any of the sacred worship spaces on the property. And this caused the New Jersey Human Rights Commission to come in and strip the, the group of the tax-exempt status and, you know, drag them through five years of, you know, administrative proceedings. Um, but I assume at some point the Supreme Court steps in and says, hey, we have this thing called the First Amendment. Sit down and shut up and go home, right? Well, that's the big problem uh, because that doesn't happen. In fact, there was a Supreme Court decision in the 1980s uh, that involved the Ohio Civil Rights Commission against a Christian school, and they basically ruled that this legal doctrine called the Younger Abstention applies in any of these disputes, meaning that if you have a basic, you know, um, built, you know, a First Amendment complaint, uh, um, first you're, you're trying to assert your basic First Amendment rights against one of these commissions. Um, the Supreme Court ruled that the federal courts won't get involved until you exhaust everything at the state level. So what happens here is you just get stuck in this interminable legal um, purgatory. Um, these commissions are entirely administrative in nature, and they have a lot of statutory authority to come in and investigate you and your business and pull all your records and all this stuff. But at the same time, you're not locked into like a court proceeding where you, right. you have you know certain rights and there are rules of evidence and this sort of thing. It's an administrative proceeding. They largely have their own rules. And the worst part is that the same group that is prosecuting the complaint and investigating the complaint is charged with making the determination about whether the complaint is valid and assessing fines. But you, if you want to mount your own defense and you probably need to get legal representation to do so, you have to pay for all that out of your own pocket. Um, and, you know, in the case of that New Jersey uh, Methodist group with the beachfront retreat, um, they were locked in this civil, this, this administrative proceeding for four or five years. Incredible. Well, I'm ready for somebody to start the leave me the hell alone party so I can join it, Mark Hemingway, yeah. and spare me from nonsense like this. It's an outstanding piece. It's the cover article uh, in the Weekly Standard. Please check it out. Also, please check out weeklystandard.com regularly for updated podcasts. I'm your host, Michael Graham.